Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on the show today, the NFL scouting combine gets going in earnest tomorrow with on-field workouts. I'm going to go over the schedule. I'm going to break down which position groups I'll be watching the closest and give you some specific player names of guys that I'll be watching the most, including one particular position where I love the group. I like what I see from the class so far, and it just so happens to be a position of great need for the Seahawks as the roster stands today. I'll weigh in on what I thought John Schneider's comments at the Combine about the quarterback position yesterday really meant, and look ahead to that workout a little bit as well. And then at the end, we'll wrap it up with a quick salary cap update where the team stands today after reworking Geno Smith's deal and then the news of the higher-than-expected cap and how they can get some significant things done on the roster immediately without getting too crazy. I'll go over that as well. It's the uh, Seahawks Forever Combine Preview coming up next. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever Podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Hope you had a nice weekend. Took a little break. Welcome back to the show is what I should say. Hopefully I'm not too rusty. Really got on a roll there for a while with the coaching change and everything that happened and what seemed like a daily barrage of news and uh, things coming at us from all angles. So we get to settle into just kind of the normal rigors of the NFL offseason now with the NFL Combine going on this week in Indianapolis. It's actually been going on for the last 24 hours or so. A lot of head coach and GM interviews the last couple of days. Today, teams are interviewing players. We're starting to hear about some of the players that the Seahawks are interviewing. I'll touch on some of those when I go over some of my favorite prospects. And uh, John Schneider making the rounds yesterday. He had his podium time, and then he met with local reporters off podium He's done a bunch of interviews, sat down with uh, Chris Sims and Mike Florio. Not a lot to glean from that, although I will, uh, as I said at the top, touch on his comments about the quarterback position. Uh, Before we get started on this, of course, uh, like the video. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that bell button for notification of future episodes and subscribe to the channel. Best way to support the show. If you prefer audio podcasts, you can get it wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you... uh, If you want to hear episodes without ads, you can do so on Spotify. You can subscribe for less than a dollar a month. I'll have those links in the description as well as uh, you can buy me a coffee or a beer at the link down below as well. Thank you for those who have done so this week. 
Let's get into it. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, let me put this uh, right up on the screen to begin with. This is the schedule over the next four days. Tomorrow, as I record this, it is uh, Wednesday, the 28th. So tomorrow, noon Pacific time, defensive linemen and linebackers. Friday at noon Pacific time, defensive backs and tight ends go together. Interesting pairing there. That's that's the first time that we've seen those two groups work out together at the same time. Saturday, of course, is the big one that most fans are looking forward to. The quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. Um, you know, we're starting to hear about some of the guys that will throw and won't throw on Saturday. Some of that we won't know until the last minute. And then Sunday, we wrap it up with the big boys on the offensive line. Certainly a position of need for the Seahawks. I thought I would go through uh, and just kind of, look, I I like it all. I love the Combine. Uh, for years, have watched essentially every second of it. Uh, didn't love when they, when they moved it to primetime a couple of years ago. I'm glad that it's back uh, morning-ish. I would prefer it to be much earlier in the morning. I miss the days when the when the players started working out at 9, 10 o'clock on the West Coast. And, and there has been some feedback from players. One of the problems um, when they did move it to primetime was it just made for a very, very long day for those guys. They're doing their testing, uh, you know, in the early part of the day and in interviews and they're up early. And and then to have to, you know, turn around and try and be at their best physically at, at 7, 8 o'clock at night uh, was tough. I think this is where it belongs. Although, again, I would like it to be earlier. And, you know, I'm going to be watching it all. To me, I think maybe this year more than ever, we need to watch all the position groups. Not just because John Schneider's been adamant the last couple of years that their draft philosophy has kind of been dialed in on best player available. And he usually uses a free agency to get the roster to a position so that by the end of April, when the draft does roll around, that there aren't any glaring holes so that he can let the draft come to him a little bit. I think that's one of the main contributing factors that they've sort of uh, they've sort of pinpointed the last couple of years that have led to what most of us agree have been strong drafts. But but that's probably doesn't make for great podcasting, right? <laughs> if I just tell you that all the positions matter. We also, we just don't know what to look for this year. It's different. You know, John even in, talked yesterday in a couple of his interviews about how he and Mike McDonald and that staff haven't really gotten to know each other yet. And they're still in that phase. And it's one of the reasons why the coaches are staying behind in Seattle instead of going to the combine this year, because they need to put, they need to put practice uh, scripts together and they need to install the playbook and get ready for uh, when in April, uh, the first on-field workouts, the first off-season workouts for the Seahawks. So they can get these players together and coach them and they're getting to know each other. They haven't until the last couple of days, that coaching staff hasn't been in the same room together. And so that time is better spent having them be back in Seattle. And so Mike McDonald, you know, missed out on that, that combine interview circuit. Um, and so we're still having to glean or try to kind of parse John's words and, and read between the lines a little bit of what they're looking for. We always knew in the past, you know, Pete Carroll had those after, after we got enough data points. He had those specific uh, physical parameters that he preferred in, in the length of his uh, defensive linemen and cornerbacks and, and kind of that perfect, uh, we kind of knew what they looked for in size 
and weight and speed when it came to running back position. And, and there were certain uh, parameters in, in 40 yard dash time with the receivers. We could kind of put a Seahawks draft board together based on their historical draft data and Carol's preferences. It's different now. And Schneider even talked about that, that he's still getting to know that. And, and what he's doing this week is he's going to gather all this information, not just what he sees on the field, but also in talking to agents, interviewing players, and then take it back to Coach McDonald. And then I think we'll start to see quite a few things happen over the next couple of weeks, um, even in regards to current players, contract situations, things like that. Again, Schneider talked yesterday very openly about how I thought this was a cool moment where he just said, I'm behind. I'm behind where I usually am this time of year. I remember listening to him on a radio interview a couple of years ago. Um, in it was, it was in February. It was right around the Super Bowl. I think right after it, when I heard this interview and he, and he said that uh, we had already had our draft board put together that year in advance of the combine. And then they used the combine to kind of adjust things and, and really dial in their evaluations. They don't even have the board put together this year. They're they're playing from behind. Don't worry <laughs> if the, if that if that makes you cringe a little bit. There's plenty of time to catch up. Uh, but I just thought I would give you what I think are the three position groups that I'm going to be watching the most closely. Give you a couple of names to look for. And it starts up front. You know, it starts in the trenches. I think we've talked about this extensively on the show, myself and guests that I've had on. I was just on the Seahawkers podcast on Friday with uh, Brandon Schultz, and, and we were talking about this as well. For me, this offseason in general, but especially this draft, is it has to be from, from the front to the back. It has to be trenches out. Interior offensive line, we all know the need there. There are major question marks there with Damien Lewis set to hit free agency and Olu Oluwatimi not having been a full-time starter yet. Questions about Anthony Bradford's development. Abe Lucas's knee uh, at right tackle. That might be an unexpected need. And then defensive line. You can never have too many of those guys. Mike McDonald might be looking for a little bit different type than is currently on the roster. So they may be hunting for some, some pieces to augment that group. And then linebacker where the only guy currently under contract that was on the roster last year is Drake Thomas, who was an undrafted free agent that they poached from the Raiders practice squad at the very, very end of camp. Um, and so for me, you know, I'm left to just try to make my own assessment and best guesses. And so obviously at this point, I'm going to tend to be looking for things that, that I want and that I think the team needs. And then as we move forward and gather more information, we can start to maybe get a clearer picture. We're starting to see some of that now. Some of the guys that they're interviewing, and as those names leak out, um, and then as we get closer to the draft, we'll see the, the 30 visit list come out. And I suspect that'll be a little bit different this year, maybe than in years past, where they've used a good portion of that to try and get to know later round guys that might be undrafted free agents, kind of start that recruiting process. Um, I wonder this year if that list will include more players that they might be targeting on day two or in the first round to really, really make sure that they're doing as much uh, intel and background work as possible. Um, so it starts from the front and it, and it moves out from there. And so on the defensive line, I'm, I'm struck. I still go back to this. I've referenced it a number of times. But when Mike McDonald was named as the head coach, Matty Brown, who was just on the show a couple of weeks ago from the Seattle Overload podcast, 
he said he thought that the current personnel on the Seahawks roster fit what Mike McDonald has shown he likes to do on defense during his time as a defensive coordinator. But that they might just lack a little bit of length and size on the edge. 3-4 defensive end and outside linebacker or that hybrid kind of guy that can go inside out. And so I'm going to be watching some of those bigger edge players, and there are some intriguing ones in this class. The edge guys that are rated the highest, that are generally projected to go in the middle to the late first round, not necessarily fitting that bill. Guys like Dallas Turner, who did meet with the Seahawks today. He's in that 6'4", 250 range, kind of that prototypical sort of speed, um, you know, pass rusher off the edge. But looking for those two-way players that can play the play the run and get after the passer, guys like Jared Verse out of Florida State, who I thought last year was going to come out and it, oddly enough was being talked about in sort of the same range. When you look at some of the consensus big boards and projections out there, I don't know that Jared Verse has really upped his stock. Could be, could go in the top twelve, but he's these are guys that are generally sort of mocked around where the Seahawks will be picking, even if they trade down. So Jared versus the guy I'm going to be looking at. He's, he's shown power. He's shown speed to power. Uh, want to see how he moves, you know, want to see the agility drills and how he gets up and down and how he, how he can bend and turn a corner. Braylon Trice, really, really intriguing out of the university of Washington, big, tall, long, heavy edge who, uh, who has shown an, an ability to play the run as well as get after the passer. Um, Darius Robinson, kind of the fast riser this year, really stepped forward at the senior bowl, uh, bigger edge out of Missouri. And then a smaller school guy to keep an eye on and watching these workouts, uh, Marshawn Neeland out of Western Michigan, another guy who reportedly met with the Seahawks today at the combine, according to Corbin Smith. So there's a couple guys right out, right out of the gate where, Hey, the Seahawks are talking to some edge guys. They're looking into that position group. And then defensive tackle, you know, this was, this was a source of such consternation last off season. We just felt like, you know, they made the big splash move. First of all, they flushed <laughs> the entire position group from the year before and started from scratch. And then they made the big splashy move um, with Draymond Jones. And then they brought Jaron Reed back. They drafted a couple of kids and Cam Young and Mike Morris, although Morris is, is an, isn't more of an outside guy. And we just, Man, we just throughout the offseason, we kept thinking they need to add one more. They need to add one more. They need to add one more. And sure enough, at the trade deadline, they made the big move and gave up a lot to get Leonard Williams to fortify that group. Now, of course, the question is, can they get they get Williams back? Um, and all reports are that they're trying to do that. But you can never have too many of those guys. I, I was talking draft on Twitter a couple of days ago and had uh, posted a mock and projected Texas's Byron Murphy, who looks every bit the part of a Seahawks defensive lineman and looks very similar to me in body shape, style, athleticism that you could kind of comp him to Justin Matabuike who had such a huge year for the Ravens and Mike McDonald this year and is set to really cash in in free agency or, or to be franchise tagged by the Ravens. And we actually might see that news coming out in the next week or so. Um, and, and somebody who loves to talk draft, who I really respect, and and a guy that I love to interact with on Twitter, came back to me with, why do they need a defensive tackle? He's not even going to start. They're set there. Which goes against everything 
that I believe about how you should draft and how you should build a roster. You're never set. Unless you have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, you might be able to say, okay, you're set there. But I, I'm talking about the bigger position groups, especially in defense. You look what the Seahawks had when they won the Super Bowl, where Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett weren't even really starters on that team. They rotated in. You don't ever want your defensive tackles, your defensive down linemen to be playing 70, 80% of the snaps. It just doesn't happen. And so, A, you don't just draft for today. You draft for next year and the year after and the year after. B, injuries happen. You have to build depth on the defensive line so you can continue to be effective getting after the quarterback, affecting pockets, even if guys get nicked up and go down when they get nicked up and go down, because it happens. The Seahawks actually stayed pretty remarkably healthy last year on the defensive line, thankfully, because they didn't have a lot of depth. And so um, that's just one of the things I look at is, is you can never have too many defensive tackles. You look at what the San Francisco 49ers last year did, and we thought their defensive line going into week one was dynamic, versatile, varied, and deep, and yet they kept adding to it, right? Just they, they they never stopped. It's like how many did they have? Did they have extra roster spots there? What other position groups did they rob to just keep piling resources on that defensive line? And so, uh, yeah, I'm going to be watching those guys. Jaron Reed also is on the wrong side of 30, and in the last year of his deal, and you don't know how much longer he can be effective. Um, and so, I'm going to be looking at Byron Murphy and his teammate Tavondre Sweat out of Texas, who is very unique in this class. The one thing that the Seahawks still don't really have, unless you believe Cam Young can be this guy, is a true nose tackle. And Young, you know, they, they talked last year about how he got up to 320, that maybe he is that guy. Sweat is, is one to watch because you he's, okay, he's listed at 345. He's a big, big dude. Go watch some, just YouTube Tavondre Sweat. Sweat and uh, and watch him just bull rush guys. Um, certainly a guy that can clog up the middle and longer than a lot of nose tackles are. But questions about his weight and how how well he can manage that. He he elected not to do the weigh in at the Senior Bowl. There are some reports that he may have been over two or three sixty. Did I say two? Three sixty. He's listed at 345. Let's see what he weighs in at tomorrow at the combine. That'll that could say a lot, just you know, about his profile. So the two guys from Texas gonna be watching them. Johnny Newton now. Who's Johnny Newton? Jerzon Newton out of Illinois, who's been one of, if not the highest rated interior defensive lineman throughout most of the, the college football season and into the draft process, wants to be referred to now as Johnny. Uh, he's hurt, had some surgery on his foot, I believe, a few weeks ago. Uh, shouldn't be a big thing, should be good to go by the season, but he's not going to be able to work out this week. Um, but those of you who are Johnny Newton fans will be happy to know, also reportedly has already met with John Schneider and his staff and the Seahawks at the Combine. Uh, that's another one. McKinley Jackson on Mississippi State, 6'2", 335, another guy that uh, is, is sort of a true zero technique, nose tackle. Mason Smith out of LSU, another unique body type, 6'6", 315. Ruka, uh, man, I thought I had this down. Uh, Aurora, 
out of Clemson. 6'4", 290, really intriguing. He's He showed up on Bruce Feldman's freak list last year. Uh, in Incredible athleticism, low body fat, long, didn't start playing football until his junior year in high school. You read interviews with this guy. He's hungry. He wants to prove uh, that he's the best. Um, really interesting guy there to watch as well. So those are just some names among that defensive tackle group that I'm really intrigued to watch. The other group, and this is one that I really f- focus on, and I'm going to put some names up on the screen here for you. But as I mentioned at the top, it's linebackers. Sears <laughs> don't have any right now. Um, lots of questions among the fan base about Bobby Wagner. I said it on Brandon, uh, Brandon's show the other day, and I'll say it again here. I do not expect Bobby Wagner to be back. And I get it. I get being tied emotionally to a player. I do too. I have a closet full of jerseys. Some of them are very old and, and I've hung on to them for a very long time. I have jerseys on the wall. I have, I, we all have favorite players. I have players that I over the years have used uh, almost all of my passwords that I've ever used for things. And don't think you can try and figure out my passwords because I, I do something to make them very complex, but they incorporate in some way, shape or form uh, Seahawk names. And Bobby Wagner has featured prominently uh, over the years in that for me. Um, but there comes a time when the roster is better off with a different player. And some of the strong reactions that I see, frankly, surprise me that that sometimes fans are more emotionally attached to a player than they are the team's one loss record. At least that's the way it seems to me sometimes. And so somebody put it out on Twitter the other day, an account that I follow, you know, hey, do you think Bobby's going to be back or not? You know, weigh in. And I said, no, I, I just think that teams have picked on him in coverage for the last couple of years. And, uh, you, you know, we he, we got the most out of him that we could last year. He made a bunch of tackles, um, but he still has some deficiencies. He just He just isn't as agile and quick and explosive as, as he used to be. I think when he, when the Seahawks brought him back from the Rams, it was thought that, that there was a plan in place where he wouldn't have to be a full-time player. And then he ends up going out. He, I just saw this the other day. I think he played 98% of the snaps. I don't think that was the plan. And there are things that teams would do to pick on him. I just think it's time to move on. New head coach, new scheme. And you see what Mike McDonald did in Baltimore. And frankly, what he did at Michigan too with that scheme. And it's very, very, very dependent on linebackers. And when things really clicked in Baltimore, it was when they acquired Roquan Roquan Smith halfway through two seasons ago and paired him with Patrick Queen. The things he does and how he uses his linebackers and disguising coverages and and blitzes so that the offense never really knows uh, who's covering and who's coming is starts with the linebackers. And I just, it doesn't make sense to me to devote any kind of significant salary cap space to bring an aging player back uh, that might be a deficiency athletically. So, that's where I stand on that. I heart Bobby Wagner. And, and some of you might be, you know, shedding a tear right now. I, I just, it's, 
I just think it's time. So, so that's, that's the basis by which I'm looking at this linebacker group going into the offseason. Can they get Jordan Brooks back? I think he fits. Would they prefer to go after another linebacker? There's a good free agent group out there. But what makes me happy about this draft is it's a deep linebacker group. I was watching some draft show the other day and somebody said it was a weak group. Um, I can't remember who it was, but I, I vehemently disagree. Last year was not a great year to be drafting inside linebackers. When guys like Dan Henley are going in the second round and they, they weigh 225, somebody said on Twitter yesterday, uh, what happened to the, what happened to college linebackers? They all, they're all 223 pound guys who look like cats chasing a laser pointer now, or who have that athletic ability. Um, to which I jumped in and said, no, 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 no. This year, last year. Yeah. But this year there's a whole bunch of guys that are 235, 240, 245, more of that traditional mold, bigger inside linebackers, guys that can wreak some havoc in the run game and still get out and cover. You know, Jordan Brooks is six foot, 240 pounds, but you watch him covering Trey McBride 30 yards downfield in that last game against Arizona on a bad ankle. Like he can cover, right? He can get out and cover guys. You look at what McDonald did uh, in Baltimore and, you know, Roquan Smith is 236. Patrick Queen, even at just six feet tall, a little bit smaller inside linebacker, 230 pounds, but they go out and they draft Trenton Simpson out of Clemson last year, 6'2", 238. There's a lot more guys in this draft that fit that mold. And I put a little list together here for you. Junior Colson, of course, Mike McDonald is familiar with, coached him his freshman year at Michigan. One of the youngest players in this draft. I think he's either still 20 or he just turned 21. Uh, 6'3", 247. All of these guys on this list are above 235. Uh, Cedric Gray out of North Carolina had one of the best weeks of anybody at the Senior Bowl, 6'2", 235. Maris Leofau. Uh, Notre Dame, 6'2", 239. Nathaniel Watson, player of the year in his conference, a guy that can also get after the passer and rush the quarterback. Uh, 6'2", 245, had an excellent senior bowl. Trevin Wallace, another guy that showed up at the senior bowl out of Kentucky, showed up on Bruce Feldman's freak list, 6'2", 241. Jalen Ford out of Texas, checks in at 242 pounds. Javon Solomon, there's always small school guys that you want to look at, right? 6'2", 249. Be interesting to see how he stacks up against some of these other big names at the Combine. And then Tommy Eichenberg is a guy I put on there, um, 6'2", 239 out of Ohio State, that it's kind of a surprising. He was one of those guys at Ohio State last year that most people thought were going to come out. And he decided to run it back and go back to school and try and chase the national championship. And if he had come out last year, like the all the mock drafts and projections had him going in the second round almost all day long. This year, you see him in the fourth, fifth. Some of that speaks to the depth of that class that I just showed you. And that's not even a complete list. There's there's some other really interesting guys. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Eichenberg tests. Um, he's He's a beast in the run game. He makes all the calls. He's that true Mike linebacker. Maybe there's some questions about his sideline to sideline explosiveness. We'll see how he does against those other guys. But that's a group that I'm really excited to watch uh, as we get in into uh, the combine. And then, of course, Saturday is, is you know, all eyes are on the quarterbacks. Um, Michael Penix has said he'll throw. Caleb Williams and Drake May will not. Um, I get it, I guess. I don't like it. You know, I don't think any fan would. I think... If I'm an agent, I'm telling my quarterback, throw. 
you know, you're, you're, you're communicating to teams that you're, you have no fear. You're not afraid of having a bad day. Right. I, it's, 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 it's a tough one to wrap my head around, but I also understand it. If Caleb Williams, if Caleb Williams is expected to go number one and Drake may thinks he's going two or three, then I guess what do they have to gain by throwing at the combine? Right. Um, but some of these other guys do, I think Jaden Daniels has a lot to gain by throwing at the combine. I think Bo Nix, there's some questions about his ability to push the ball down the field. Um, you know, how, how's he going to look standing up next to these guys and, and throwing JJ McCarthy, a guy who wasn't asked to throw at a high volume rate at Michigan. Um, how's he going to look throwing the football? I have said for weeks that I think he's, people are going to feel a lot differently about JJ McCarthy after he throws at the, at the combine than before. So hopefully he will. But of course, a lot of focus on the on the quarterback position in Seattle. There has been. And and there there will continue to be until the day comes when they identify a long-term potential franchise quarterback and and have him on the roster. Will that happen this year? Will it happen next year? You know, I just did a show late last week that I think they're going to wait until next year and kind of outline my reasons why. But John Snyder addressed the quarterback situation again at the combine yesterday. And one of the things he talked about was his track record of drafting quarterbacks. He's only taken two in his entire 15-year run here in Seattle, 14 drafts. Russell Wilson, of course, worked out pretty well. Alex Magoo didn't work out great unless you consider, you know, winning MVP of the USFL. And he said it's something he's not proud of, that he learned in Green Bay. You take a quarterback every year if you can. And, and he, he reiterated, again, we've heard him tell this story that every year come draft time, that guys guys are coming to him and they're thinking about taking him at certain points in the draft and then someone else takes him. It just doesn't, it just never fit. Of course, for a lot of that time, they had a franchise quarterback. And so, you know, it, it makes it tougher unless, unless you're willing to commit a third spot on the roster to a quarterback on the 53, which they've never done, or you draft a guy and are committed to carrying him as your backup which is risky if you're a team that thinks they're going to win and you have eyes on contending and competing in your division. And so the Seahawks have always preferred to go with a veteran quarterback. You know, they brought Geno Smith back, what, three years, four years on one-year deals because they wanted that veteran there. When they could have easily, even when things were starting to kind of go off the rails a little bit with Russell Wilson, they could have thought then, let's, let's acquire a guy to groom behind him. They never did. Now with Gino in place, they prefer, and, and John talked openly about it again yesterday, they would like to bring Drew Locke back again, and he plans to talk to his agent this week. But he was also asked about this quarterback class, and he said he likes the class. There's a lot of, a lot of variance there, a lot of different guys, different flavors. And he talked again about what he looks for in a quarterback prospect. And the year that he drafted Russell Wilson, there was a lot of expectation they, they would be hunting quarterback at some point in the draft, even though they had just signed Matt Flynn that offseason as a free agent. And he used the phrase, tilt the room. And he's used that phrase many times since then. But he was actually asked while he was at the podium, what red flags do you look for when scouting quarterbacks? What things do you not like to see? And he kind of gave a funny answer about interceptions. But then he went on this tangent about things he does look for. And that led me to think of a certain prospect I'm going to be 
watching with a little closer eye on Saturday. Here's what Schneider said. I don't think it got a lot of attention yesterday because everybody was focused on what he said about Geno Smith, which I'll touch on in a second. But here's what he said about what he really looks for in quarterbacks. I think you just look at the guys, the way they handle themselves through a through a football game. When you see guys play live, it's it's really important to see how they interact with their teammates and to see how they uh, how they respond to the really tough things that they've just gone through. So, you know, I'm, I know you hear people talk about corners all the time. Can they turn the page and? you know, react to a, you know, a play they just gave up or something like that, explosive play or something. But uh, quarterbacks, same thing, you know, and, and how they interact with their teammates when they come off the field, how they're interacting with their the quarterback or the head coach. And, yeah, just just that, like, just that calm, steady, competitive field vision, just, yeah, tough, competitive. So he – he likes guys, in the, and this is a, a theme that we heard all throughout the Pete Carroll years, right? He likes guys that have overcome some things, that are undeterred, that, you know, the way that respect his teammates, that are natural leaders, and uh, just don't get phased by anything. When the, when the bullets are flying, you know, they keep it together. Right before that part of the comment, he also talked a little bit about how they handle themselves in the pocket, you know, when things aren't necessarily going perfectly. And some of you might think, well, he, he might be talking about, you know, he, he might really like a guy like Michael Penix because he's gone through the adversity of the injuries, right? And having to change programs. And that may be true. But the guy that came to mind as I was listening to him talk about what he looks for in a quarterback is Spencer Rattler. And Rattler is a guy that I have uh, kind of gone back and forth on. Um, I remember watching him at Oklahoma. He was big man on campus, a freshman there, right? He had done the QB one show on Netflix. Didn't look great doing that. Actually didn't make him look, didn't shed or show him the perfect light, but he was 17 years old at the time. And I remember watching him at Oklahoma and I had heard all the buzz and I, I didn't, I wasn't that impressed. And that sticks with you. You know, your first impression of a player sometimes is hard to shake. I think it's one of the reasons that a lot of people just can't come to grips with Geno Smith because they just remember the Jets. And then Rattler transfers to South Carolina. And Shane Beamer, his head coach there at the Senior Bowl, was asked about Rattler, who won MVP of the Senior Bowl. And he had nothing but good things to say about him. And Daniel Jeremiah even remarked, he said, look, sometimes we'll, we'll ask head coaches about their players. And they'll, they'll give lip service to it, but you can kind of tell that they're not really passionate about what they're saying. He said Beamer just <laughs> beamed about Rattler. From the day he set foot on campus, he became a leader, two-time captain, permanent captain voted on by the, by the other players. That um, this last year, a lot was made out of the, the issues on the offensive line, and you could see it on tape. He just almost never had a clean pocket, never had a chance to stick his foot in the ground and, and run a play on time. Six Offensive line starters missed significant time last year. Like they were just rotating guys in from the third string all year long. And yet he never wavered. He never complained. He kept leading. It didn't affect the way he played. He didn't get gun shy or skittish. He still would just stand in that pocket sometimes and get blasted. Although he did show some creativity and how he moves as well. Really easy, confident release. Like when he makes a decision, he gets rid of it. Um, he's a guy that I'm open-minded to changing my mind on. A lot of people have come to me and said, you got to look at Spencer Rattler, look at him in the third round all day long. He could be a starting quarterback in the league. Other people, you know, when I mention that, tell me I'm crazy. 
that's just the nature of the quarterback position. You know, you pick the guys that you like and you don't like, and it's hard to, to, to move you off of that subject. So that's a guy that I'm going to be watching on Saturday. I hope he throws, you know, he should, it, it would, wouldn't make a lot of sense to me for him not to, because he's a guy that has the most to gain. I think outside that top six, he's got a chance to be number seven. And before Saturday's workout um, on Friday, I'm going to unveil my my top 10 uh, quarterback prospect draft rankings. That is the one position group that I had a chance to kind of dig through the most um, throughout all the coaching search and everything else. Um, I'm a little bit behind, just like John Schneider on the rest of the positions. Uh, but we'll do that before Saturday as well. And, and, and uh, you'll see where Rattler fits in. Um, because it, it, it's kind of, you have to squint pretty hard after that first six to find guys that, that legitimately look like longtime starters in the NFL. You have to, you have to, you have to dream on it a little bit. I uh, thought I'd wrap up with this, um, because again, there was a lot of talk about Geno Smith yesterday. Um, first of all, at the podium, when Schneider was asked about him, he said, yeah, he's the starter until he's not. And some people interpreted that as, oh, he's being, he's leaving that open-ended. He's being a little bit cryptic there. But I read that quote yesterday, um, but I didn't have a chance to dig into it. And then this morning I watched the actual press conference from the combine. And when you watch it, it just gives you different context. I didn't take it as a negative thing at all. Um, I took it as the most definitive statement that he's made that, yeah, he's our guy. And then in other interviews after the podium, uh, first off podium with local reporters. And then uh, later I watched an interview he did where he sat down with Mike Florio and Chris Sims uh, said the same thing. Seemed much more definitive. Like Gino's the guy. Gino's the guy and they want to try and bring Drew Locke back as well. With what they did with his contract the other day and the news that the salary cap this year is going to be $255 million, uh, 255.4 million. When most projections uh, over the cap, I think, was working with the, the figure of 243 and a half uh, for months. Schneider himself said in an interview yesterday that uh, his intel led him to believe it was going to be 249. And so, you know, it was even 6 million more than he was expecting, 6.4 million. And he, he said he was pretty excited about that. It gives, it gives the team flexibility, obviously. I said on a show last week that I thought, um, you know, it, it basically that difference, it's amounts to a pretty solid player. Six million bucks can get you a pretty solid player. So that maybe someone they hadn't planned on being able to retain as, a, as one of their own free agents, maybe now they can. To which someone said to me, well, every team has that extra salary cap space. So that's going to drive salaries up. We'll see. Even John Schneider said, we'll see. I don't know. I, at the end of the day, it's it's all equal. But if it gives you, it, it gives you an opportunity to be more flexible, I guess is what I'm getting at. And you know we've talked about the salary cap a lot here over the last couple of months. Dug into it pretty hard with John Gilbert uh, about six weeks ago. And the difference between where they sit now and where they sat then, before the salary cap news and before they made the move with Geno's contract converting his uh, his guaranteed salary to a signing bonus, clearing about $6 million in cap space, I believe, is significant. So much so that 
you know, when I talked to John six weeks ago and around that same time, I also saw an interview with Brad Spielberger of, of pro football focus who said, who laid out almost the exact same scenario to get to 30 ish, $35 million to where you felt comfortable thinking, okay, they can afford to bring Leonard Williams back. They can re-sign Jordan Brooks. They can, you know, add a couple of free agents from outside, maybe even retain Damian Lewis if they want to. You had to get really aggressive. You had to cut Jamal Adams and make it a post-June 1 designation so it cleared more space this year. You had to cut Quandre Diggs. You had to basically go scorched earth, right, and cut all the guys that could gain you some cap space. Not the case today. And I played with the calculator a little bit just before I hit record, just so I could kind of put this in perspective for you. And we'll finish on this. The Seahawks sit today, a week ago, they were five and a half million over the cap. And then they redid Geno's deal. And then the salary cap news came out just like that. Twelve and a half million dollars in cap space the Seahawks sit with today. So if they wanted to sign Leonard Williams to a deal today, with a first-year cap hit of less than $12.5 million, which is very, very likely, they could do it. They could probably even agree to deals with Jordan Brooks and Leonard Williams today and just tweak something, something else, something small. And then if all you did today was cut Brian Monet, who clears up about $5.8 million in cap space, missed all last year with a serious knee injury, even if they have interest, even if he's 100% healthy and nobody's said a thing about this in months, and they're interested in, in bringing him back because as we said earlier in the draft segment, you know, they don't really have a true nose tackle. They would certainly renegotiate that deal so it carried a much lesser cap hit. If all you did today was those two moves, cut Jamal and cut Brian Monet, you get to over $25 million in cap space. Now you can absolutely sign Leonard Williams, Jordan Brooks, maybe even Damian Lewis, depending on how you structure the deal. The Seahawks are pretty good about those three, four-year deals where the first-year cap hit is nice and low. And so I just wanted to pass that on because I think the hand-wringing about the salary cap can end. Whatever they want to do this offseason, they can do. And what I like about that is the problem with cutting Jamal Adams after June 1st, there's two problems. One is you're pushing even more dead cap into next year, which if you want to get more creative on the roster, and, and we'll get into that again, we'll check back in on the salary cap in a couple of weeks after they've made some of these moves, but you can, there are other levers that you can pull. They can do something with Will Disley's contract who carries a big cap hit. You can do something with Quandary Diggs in the last year of his deal. If you cut him, you save almost 11 million. You can uh, Nick Ballore, Tyler Lockett's deal. You can redo that. DK Metcalf. It's now you can get to 50 million pretty easily. But by cutting Adams now or soon before June 1st is you take all the cap hit this year, the dead cap hit this year. But you also get access to the money immediately. Post June 1, you don't get to use that salary cap space until after June 1st. Something to think, it's something to think about. And also remember this. You don't need to account for draft, practice squad, contingencies until the beginning of the year. Remember last year, they went right down to the wire at the beginning of training camp where you know they couldn't 
they had to like cut a guy to sign a couple of picks. And so they couldn't just sign them all ahead of time. Um, and so not all of that has to be done right away. But I do think we're going to start seeing some of that news uh, start to come out after the combine. Because again, as Schneider himself said, they talked to agents this week. They get a better idea for what they're looking for and what their desires are. And he even said he has told his players and their agents who are free agents, just be a little patient. I'm going to get caught up. It's going to be fine. There's plenty of time left. We want you. We love you. There's he's He's been pretty open about wanting Leonard Williams back. And so I'm sure his camp knows that an offer is coming. So I think some of that stuff will start coming out in the next week once we get past the combine. As I said, I will unveil my um, top 10 quarterback draft prospect rankings on Friday. So you can chew on those a little bit before the combine. And then after the combine, I'll start getting caught up on some of the other position groups as well and do all my rankings. And, um, you know, it just, I have a whole database full of all 22 college tape and I've been grinding through it. I just, uh, I had to spend the last six weeks talking about coaches and things like that, right? So enjoy the combine. I'll be back on Sunday as well to just kind of wrap it up and then uh, give you some names of guys that I thought really popped for me and looked like Seahawks. Until then, follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Remember to subscribe on uh, all of the platforms. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you want to leave a review, that really helps the show as well. I'd appreciate it. Thank you to all those who have left five-star reviews recently. Until next time, forever and always. Go Hawks. Thanks for watching, everybody.